0: Good morning, one and all. If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. I'd love to get to know you a bit better by the end. Uh, hopefully we we'll get there. Just to start off with, none uh, of the youth today were able to share a story uh, from New Day, I thought I would. Some of you are going to look very nervous at that point. What story is Adrian going to share from New Day? Um, well, first of all, um, this is what I look like throughout the whole of New Day, uh, which is a youth festival. Uh, On one of the evenings, they do a gathering uh, to come to worship, to then hear some great teaching, and they call it Neon Night. I didn't know what that meant, uh, but allowed varying people, to be honest, I was under a level of duress to uh, kind of allow me to get presented for Neon Night, which is this is what the outcome was, um, where someone dyed my hair blue from behind, and when you've got gray hair, what you've got to understand is you have to dye it properly, because if you don't, it doesn't come out. Uh, And there was a moment as my hair was blue that I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to shave all my hair off. Um, But I didn't have to do that. I can honestly say, bigger picture of the whole thing, it was an utter privilege. Lucy and I both went uh, to hang out with the youth for a week. Uh, It's just unbelievable to see these young people and just how they're seeking to look out for one another, uh, seeking to kind of... Uh, encourage one another, and then also like having moments where you then get to connect with God. Uh, and it's just phenomenal seeing that. I think for me, kind of two highlights. One would be a high low light, which would be, I think it was on the Wednesday or Thursday, uh, I walked in on a water fight where it seemed as though everyone then thought the game was let's just get Adrian. And so I was not dressed for it. I was literally dressed like this, and I can promise you there was no one wetter than me by the end, Uh, but it seemed to bring a lot of pleasure to other people. Um, uh, I I did try and give as good as I got, but I'm too old. Um, The other bigger highlight, I think, would just be uh, the moments of just seeing seven and a half thousand young people engaging with God and allowing God to engage with them. And there was, uh, particularly on the last night, there was this moment where uh, twice there was kind of this call. If you've come looking for God, God is looking for you and wants to know you. And if you'd like to know who God is and how he wants to know you through Jesus, uh, we want to call you to come forward uh, in order that we can connect you with other people, not so it becomes like some big moment of everyone going, wow, they're looking, look at them, they're going forward. In actual fact, there was total silence. No one applauded. And then you saw scores. And when I say scores, I mean hundreds hundreds of teenagers quietly moving forward to say, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus Lord. And, and it's just breathtaking. And you think, man, that is worth looking like that. It's worth being utterly soaked. It's worth not sleeping a lot to see those sort of moments. And I, I would encourage you, if you've seen any of the teenagers, they're the ones who look to the floor. Um, Just go and talk to them, because they had an amazing time. All of them came back saying, can't wait till next time, which I think says everything. Um, So it was an utter privilege to be with them over two Sundays. But today, we get to continue this series we've called uh, Stories for the Journey, where we're looking at a different story each uh, Sunday uh, that's found in the Old Testament that reveals something about who God is and how God interacts with people like you and I. And today, as Gus said, we get to look at this amazing story of Joseph. Now, I have a shock confession, and that is I really don't like musicals. Um, to be honest, I went to see um, The Greatest Showman as, a, as an act of love towards the rest of my family. Uh, Sam, my son, wasn't there. It was just an act of love to my daughters and my wife. and We went to see it, and I, I thought it was just some show about a showman. That's literally it. I didn't know what I was going into and I knew that Wolverine was in it, and so I thought, you know, it's gonna be all right. It's, it gets one song in, which is literally the start of the film, and I think, okay, you know, it's fair enough, he wants to sing to his family and dance around curtains, that's okay. Second song, I'm starting to think, why does he keep singing? I, I thought there's gonna be some action here. Third song, I'm thinking, this is a musical, I have been duped. And I turn to Lucy and I say, Is this a musical? And she says, Ha 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 ha, ha. <laughs> I applauded as it ended. Um, the only other musical that I've seen is Mamma Mia. Uh, I saw that because someone told me on film, they said, you Definitely watch it, it's great, apart from the singing. I thought, Oh, brilliant, I'll watch it then. It's all singing <laughs> and little plot. Uh, So, musicals don't do it for me. So, Joseph, I've listened to it once under duress because my daughter was really into it. I don't really know this song. So, if at any point you want to just jump up and start singing a song because you love the musical, please do. Um, I'll just silence myself and say I'll I'll endure the musical, but we'll see how we go. Um, But Joseph is more than a musical. It is this phenomenal story which I hope by the end of it we're going to see how God reveals and fulfills his promises to us as humans, how God is a God who has a heart for restoration, and how God seeks to bring salvation. It is a phenomenal story. And in it, where we start off with is promises. You see, Joseph's great-grandfather was a man called Abraham who God promised and said, out of you, I'm going to give birth to a nation. A nation, a family that's going to bless all other families and nations and tribes in the whole of the planet forever. Your descendants are going to outnumber stars in the sky. Man, that's the kind of promise to get. And Abraham lives and believes God and has a son called Isaac. And Isaac becomes the one that God then in turn calls and speaks to and says, just as I blessed your father, I'm now going to bless you. And I bless you to be one who's going to be a blessing to all other nations and families. Out of you, all will be blessed. And then from Isaac, you get Jacob. Now, Jacob was a bit of a scoundrel. He kind of was always playing out against his brother. His older brother should have got everything, and yet he dupes his older brother and says, hey, for a meal, can I get your blessing? And then he goes and Sees his father, Isaac, and says, hey, bless me. Dresses up in hair to pretend he's his brother. My favorite little comedy character moment of someone like donning on a load of hair because his brother was a hairy man. That's my favorite verse in the whole of the Bible. I love writing it in people's cards because people think I'm going to give them something spiritual. I always write that, saying, because his brother was a hairy man. So will you be. Um <laughs> My daughters don't like that First, I don't... Anyway, <laughs> get on track, Hurst. So he gets this blessing from his dad and this little scoundrel. And you're thinking, like, who's he who kind of de, is devious and works his way through to kind of get what he isn't meant to have? And yet God uses him. And God wrestles with him. And God shapes him and blesses him. And just as he's blessed his father and his grandfather, he then says, hey... I'm now going to bless you. You too will be a great family, and you will be a blessing to all families. And this Jacob, this scoundrel then, is used to be this vehicle of God's blessing, and he has 12 sons. One of them, though, is his utter favorite, and his name's Joseph And he kind of singles Joseph out from everyone else, and he says, I'm not going to give you a technicolor dream coat, because that doesn't exist. Rather, I'm going to give you an ornate robe. These were shepherds, so it definitely had fur. That's a fact. It's not a fact. Please don't ever quote that. And it probably didn't look like this, but Joseph singled out amongst all of his brothers, all the brothers who were older than him, 10 of them. And Joseph is the one that's given the special robe and said, Hey, do you know what? I love all of you, but he's my favorite. And not surprisingly, the other brothers didn't like Joseph. And so there comes a moment where God, too, brings a promise to Joseph. And he brings a promise through dreams. It's a bizarre way. You think, well, surely he's going to speak like he has to the father, to the grandfather, to the great-grandfather. And yet, in this moment, it's through two dreams. And Joseph kind of wakes up and he says, last night I had the strangest dream. (laughs) Ah, you see? Um, I I did have to check out with Julia that that was actually a song. Um, And he comes to and he starts to share with his brothers. And one of the dreams he has is that all of them are bowing before him. Now, they don't think, oh, this is the best dream ever. Oh, come on, let's bring this on. Rather, they're like, what on earth does he think he's about? That we're going to bow to him? No way. Bad enough you've got the nice robe. We're never going to bow to you. And Joseph says, hey, if you think that's a crazy dream, what about this one? Where actually it isn't just you, it's everyone in our whole family, including our father. At that point, even the father who sees him as his favorite is like, I think you're going a little bit far, teenager. And yet it says also that he kind of stores it away and says, I just wonder what might happen to my son. And so we get this point of this promise, this promise that's given to Joseph, like promises that have been given to his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, that God is going to cause him to be elevated to a position where, in the end, the rest of his family bow before him. And we're left thinking, well, how's that going to work out? Because how does God fulfill these promises, these massive promises of descendants that's going to outnumber stars in the sky, a family that's going to bless all other families, and we get into Joseph and we find Joseph going to find his brothers with some sheep. Because his brothers were shepherds. And so he goes off to find them. And what we've got to understand about Joseph is why he goes out to find them is that he likes to tell tales on them. He likes to go back to dad and say, Hey, you know you told them to go to that field, they didn't go there. You know you said that they've got to do this, they didn't do that. And so his dad sends him out and he's wandering along, wearing his cool rope. Thinking, look at me, look at me. Don't you think? Of... Anyway, there's. <laughs> and they're looking and they see him from a distance. Hey, hey Jim. Do you know the words? Yeah, I do know the words. And that's why I stopped singing it. There's. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Lucy's my barometer, because often I do make up words uh, for songs that are highly inappropriate. And I'll find myself singing them, thinking, this is an appropriate song. And Lucy goes, do you know the words to that? And I'll be like, yeah, it's this. And she goes, no, it's this. And i go, oh, no. <laughs> um, that's why I stopped. <laughs> as you're going to see in a moment in the story, that song is highly appropriate, as we'll see. But um, at this moment, it isn't appropriate. Anyway, he's wandering along. They see him coming and they think, that's it, let's kill him. Kill him. But one of the brothers, Reuben, he says, no, no, please don't kill him. Why don't we lob him in that well, that system? And so as Joseph kind of makes his way up to them, Reuben kind of wanders off, and the rest of them grab Joseph and they throw him into the pit. Whilst he's down there, they're kind of thinking, what do we do? And they see in the distance some travelers coming through, some travelers who deal in goods. And they think, I wonder if we could sell him. You know, he thinks he's so special. Let's sell him. We make some money, and we also get rid of him. So they get him out, and they give him to the traders and say, hey, you take him. And they give him some money, and they take Joseph to Egypt. Meanwhile, Reuben comes back, and he looks in the well, because he'd been thinking, hey, now... Joseph is being thrown down there. I'm going to go down, grab him when no one's looking, and just take him back to dad and pretend nothing happened. Goes there, he's like, what has happened? And everyone panics. That moment of being found out, and they get the jacket, and they say, hey, I I don't know what's happened, but here's the robe, and and actually, let's just get a sheep here, slit the throat, let's pour blood all over it, and now let's go back to dad and just present this. And so they go back to their dad, Jacob, and all they do is simply give the robe with some blood sprinkled on. And Jacob takes it and sees it with his detective mind. Before CSI, there was Jacob. And he looks at it, and he inspects it, and he sees the blood, and he sees the tailoring, and he says, there is only one thing that could have happened. Joseph must have been devoured by a wild animal. I don't know about you, but I sometimes look at that and I think, to me it seems like they didn't rip it or anything, they just literally got the robe, dipped it in some blood, taped it back to their father, and the father looks at and goes, there's only one answer. Devoured by the cleanest wild animal that you could possibly know, who undressed Joseph, killed him, and sprinkled some of his blood on the robe. That's what's happened here. And all of them go, Oh, yeah, 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 I think that is what happened. That is what happened. And Jacob takes it and sinks to his knees and says, No! Went on for a long time. Oh! And gets up and says, That's it. The world is dead to me. I wait for the grave, because I have no reason to live now. And you see, that's uncomfortable. But the Bible's like that. It sometimes gives moments of stories which make us feel uncomfortable, because the reality is sometimes disappointing things happen. Things that we think, I didn't think life was going to go like that. And when that happens... It's so important how we react. See, for Jacob, he had that moment of disappointment, of despair. But the problem with the despair is it just led him to more despair, to hopelessness, and ultimately to think the only destiny now is death. And we've already heard this morning where God comes and speaks and says, No choose life. And yet here we find Jacob who just says, however many years that are ahead of me, it's only going to be characterized by despair and death. And that's where we're left, with Jacob. And that's pretty bleak. But then we get back to, hey, hey, now Joseph, what did you do? And so we go back and we find Joseph has been taken to a guy called Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar is like the who's who in Egypt. He's like the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And so he gets and employs as a slave Joseph, and he finds out that that God is with Joseph, just in how he acts, how good he is at everything. And whatever he puts his hand to, Joseph seems to bring success. You see, ultimately, Joseph was a spreadsheet king. He was the king of the spreadsheets. If Excel had been invented, he would have been on it day and night, figuring it all out, because he loved the spreadsheet. He loved to plan how everything was going to work, and he got it functioning really well. And so Joseph was put in control of the whole of Potiphar's house. And he did an excellent job, so much so that Potiphar could just go off and do whatever he wanted. Now, the danger there was that Potiphar was doing whatever he wanted And he had this really nice wife at home. This nice wife who had not lots to do. And she just looked and she saw this guy. Do you remember him? With the robe. And he was handsome. Well built. You can picture it. Immediately. And and she sees him. And she's like, "Like likey, likey. And so she runs up to him. And she's like, Hey, Potiphar's not here. Do you want to come and have some fun? He's like, No, no, no. And she's like, Yes, no, yes, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. And that goes on day and day and day and night and day and night until so one day everyone else in the household's gone and there's just Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And he happens to just be walking past. And he's walking past in one of his cool cloaks. A cloak that's just got a little bit of a doing up at the side. And he's handsome. He's well built. Kind of showing a bit of thigh. And as he walks past her, she's like, yes, sir. And rips his cloak. And he's like, woohoo! And just runs off. (laughs) At that point, she's like, what? And screams. Everyone, listen to me. And everyone runs in. What has happened? Joseph's tried it on. Look, I've got his cloak. He was doing his kind of strip tease act in front of me, and this is what he left. Potiphar arrives back and he's like, What on earth is going on? Joseph, I thought you were the spreadsheet king. You're going, you're going down. And at this point, Joseph ends up in chains. He ends up in prison. And he kind of realizing, man, Joseph's story is this massive roller coaster from one moment he's in a pit, next moment he's kind of there, seems to be making the most of the whole of his surroundings, and then the next, he's in prison. No, no, this is the one that God promised. Two dreams, whole family's gonna bow before him. He's now in prison. And what we're told is that as he's in prison, God is with him. Now, no, surely God's with him when he's doing the spreadsheets and making everything go well. That's like God with you. Success, success, success. No, he's in prison. Forgotten. Falsely accused. No way of escape. And it says God is with him. And that as God is with him, Joseph just sets about being who he knows he's meant to be to everyone else. And before long, he's put in charge of the whole of the prison. He's the spreadsheet king. He's the one to be trusted, in charge of the whole prison. And one day, he's kind of doing his rounds, and he bumps into a couple of guys, a couple of guys about flour and juice. And they were up to no good, it has to be said, because that Pharaoh had had them in his employment and decided they'd done some stuff that meant he didn't trust them and he wanted them in prison. And these two guys, the baker and the cupbearer, are kind of really troubled. And so Joseph looks to them and says, but what is going on here? And they say, hey, we had this dream last night, both of us individually, and they're weird dreams and we can't understand it and no one will interpret it for us. And Joseph sets forward and says, hey, I know a God who interprets dreams. Tell me your dreams. And so the cupbearer steps forward and says, hey, this is my dream. And tells this quite weird dream. And then at the end, Joseph says, hey, God can cause us to understand this. And what this is about is actually you're going to be freed. You're not going to linger in this prison much longer. Pharaoh is going to have you back in his favor and you're going to be free. And when you're free, you need to remember me. Baker at this point is like, "Man, this guy's on a roll. I'm in. This is my dream." At that point, it's a Hollywood film. All the shutters shut. Crows at the window. Joseph turns to the baker and says, "Your dream also will come true, but your one is that you're going to be dead." He's like, "Man, this is heavy." And within three days, the cupbearer is back at the pharaoh's side, and we're told the, the bread maker is dead in a barbaric way, as we're going to hear lots about next week, on a stake. And we're like, what on earth is going on here? And the cupbearer is free, and he just forgets Joseph. And so we find again Joseph just there lingering, thinking, you forgot. We didn't then turn in despair, but rather it just says he carries on, knowing God is with him. And then one day we get to this point of a throne, a throne that is sat on by Pharaoh. Pharaoh too has had dreams, and his dreams are deeply troubling him, and he just can't shake them. As he calls all of his people around him, who seem to know stuff and have ideas, or seem to be able to interpret the times, and says, "Look, these are my dreams. Can you help me?" and they're like, no, we can't help you at all. The cupbearer, he's there, and he kind of hears them talking. And he thinks, hey, there was this guy I knew who seemed to be able to deal with dreams like this. Because if there's something strange and it don't look good, who are you going to call? Call Joseph. And so that's what they do. Joseph, Joseph. Joseph's led out of prison and brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, look, these are my dreams. Can you do something? And again, Joseph doesn't say, yes, I'm the one with the robe. I'm the one who can interpret all the dreams. He says, I can do nothing, but I know a God who makes sense of all dreams. And at that point, Pharaoh tells him the dreams and Joseph hears them and says, this is what God's doing. He's getting things ready here. He's saying that actually it's going to be seven years of prosperity, of abundance. But then it's going to be followed by seven years of utter famine. He said, why God's telling you this is in order that you can save everyone. In order that you can manage the prosperity moment, the abundance moment, in order to provide for the famine moment. In order that what? In order that you could be used to be a blessing for all nations. No, 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 that was Abraham. This is Pharaoh. It can't be that. And then Joseph says, therefore, you need someone who can orchestrate for this, orchestrate this for you. And Pharaoh says, who can I find? And then it says he looks at Joseph and sees God's hand on him. He says, you're the spreadsheet king. You're the one. You have all authority over my kingdom to ensure that everything that you've spoken about happens, that we provide and store now for the famine that is to come. Why? Because this is part of his DNA, Joseph. This is part of the promise that was given to his great-great-grandfather. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. How does that work? It works like this. You get taken into slavery, sold into a, a, a workplace where it seems everything's going well, get falsely accused, end up in prison, then end up at the right hand of Pharaoh and then administering his whole kingdom in order that you can be a blessing to all people. But this isn't the ultimate end of that story. But it's these moments to say, hey, God fulfills his promises in obscure and surprising ways. And it's to cause us to think, is God ultimately going to do that in a surprising and obscure way? Oh, he is. And it's going to be through Jesus. But the moment we get back to Joseph. As a Joseph is put as Pharaoh's right-hand man, he's put as leader over the whole of the kingdom. And through the seven years of prosperity, he stores so much grain that it says it is beyond counting. The warehouse is beyond dimensions that could be measured and does that. Then the seven years of famine come, and he begins to administer all of the produce that he's got to those that are in need. Two years into the famine, and there's this little family that are knocking around in a nation next door to Egypt. The head of that family is a guy called Jacob, He's just still despairing, still longing for death, and yet he knows he's got to look after his family, and he says, hey, we have nothing. We have no food left. We need to go to Egypt because there's food there. And so he sends 10 of his sons off. He keeps his youngest one, Benjamin, Joseph's actual natural brother, and says, now he's going to stay with me because I cannot lose him. But you ten go to Egypt. And so they all head off to Egypt, and they find their way into Joseph's room. Joseph's room administration, and they come before him and as Joseph sees them come through the door, he recognizes all of them. But they don't know who he is. And he talks through an interpreter. So they don't know that he knows their language. And they come through and they say, we've come from a distant country, we've come on behalf of our father and we're asking you for grain, we've come with silver to give you. Joseph sees and says, no, you're not. You're spies. That's who you are. Joe, the brother said, No, no, we're not spies. We're just here in need. Come provide for us. Joseph says, Oh yes, you are. Oh no, we're not. Oh yes, you are. Oh no, we're not. Oh yes, we are. Oh man, this is poor. I'm working hard here. Uh, And at that point, Joseph thinks, I've had enough of this. Go to prison for three days. And puts them all in prison to stew over what's going to happen to them. At the end of three days, they come out and they start to plead with him, saying, look, we can't go back empty. We're not spies. We're trying to provide for our family. We've already lost a brother. We don't want to lose anything else. And Joseph has mercy on them. But in it, he says, but is this all of your family? And they say, well, we've still got a younger brother. He says, "Ah, oh, I'm going to give you sacks of grain, but I want you to take this back to your land, to your family. And then when you need some more grain, you need to come back. And I want you to come back with your younger brother. If you don't come back with your younger bro- brother, you're never going to have any dealings with me. And also, as a bit of deposit, I'm going to take him. What's his name? Simeon. So we're going to take him, and he's going to be bound up. Let's bound him up now. Bind him up. Throw him in prison. He's going to linger in prison until you come back. And so they set off. They set off towards their father's house, carrying their sacks full of grain. And halfway along the journey, they kind of stop and look in the sacks, and they realize that not only is it full of grain, it's also full of all of the silver and treasures they'd taken to pay for the grain. At this point, they're freaking out, thinking, what's going to happen? What's this guy on? Is he trying to trap us? They go back to Jacob and present the grain. At this point, Jacob hears the story, and his only response is, I know the way that this goes. We're not going back. Simeon is now dead to me. I've now lost two sons. And you're left thinking, what? Surely there was a glimmer of hope here. And it just exposes what disappointment had done in Jacob's heart that just made him think, man, it's lost. But then it gets to a desperate time again, a moment where all the grain runs out, all the food is gone again. At that point, there's only one way forward. It's only back to Egypt. And so the brothers come and say, Dad, we've got to go, but we've got to take Benjamin with us. If we don't, there's not going to be any dealing." And Jacob agrees to it. And so they go back and they go before Joseph and he releases Simeon to them and does a big banquet and they have a party. He's saying, "Ah, oh, this is really good. And they say, hey, we've come back with double amount of silver because bizarrely we had our silver last time and we want to give you stuff. So Joseph hears it and they have a party together and then at the end of it, Joseph says, let's get you ready to go back. So he talks to his stewards and says, let's pack them fully with everything. Everything? Yes, everything. Like just full of grain, full of treasure, and put double the amount of silver back in them. But in that kid, in that little one there, you know the runt? Use him, I think his name's Benjamin, and put this trophy, this magnificent trophy in his sack. So that's what he do. And the brothers all head back to go home. But as they are on their way, suddenly, Joseph's attendants catch up with them and tell them all to stop. They've come with this instruction from Joseph to say, we've come to search the sacks because someone's stolen the amazing silver trophy. It's actually a silver cup. The amazing silver cup. And they're like, no one would have stolen the silver cup. Can't you understand? The last time we tried to give you silver, we tried to give you double amount this time. There's no way any of us is going to have stolen your silver cup. And the attendants say, well, Joseph said a cup is missing. And whoever has the cup has to be his slave. And so they search the sacks. They search the first one. There's nothing there. The second, nothing. Third, nothing, 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 nothing. Gets to the 11th. They open it. And there is the cup. At that point, all the brothers fall to the floor. Woe are we. Now, at this point, they don't abandon Benjamin. And they've come a long way. They've come a long way from those 10 brothers, or 11 brothers, actually, who just threw Joseph in the pit and they sold him off. Now, at this point, they stick together. And they go back to Egypt together. And they stand before Joseph and fall to their f- knees. and say, have mercy. Let us all be your slaves if we go back to our father without this son, he'll die. And then Judah, the oldest brother, steps forward and says, actually, let them all go and just take me. Take me to be your slave. I'll do whatever you want. Just let them go. What a journey they've had. And Joseph sees and hears everything they say. And he can't contain himself anymore. And he falls to his knees and breaks. And starts to wail and cry. And the cries of Joseph are heard throughout the whole of the kingdom. Such is the noise. See, suddenly the promise, the dream has been fulfilled. In the most surprising way. That 11 brothers and On their knees before one brother. Thinking of that moment, it was all gonna be to honor Joseph. And yet, actually, it was a moment of utter restoration. That the one lifted up didn't then lord it over the others, but came and drew them in and gathered them to himself. And then he says this most surprising thing: he says, Don't be angry with yourselves. Because God meant this to happen in order that I could be used to save many. God's ways are so surprising. that This was God's plan, that he was going to use these different things in order that this moment would be a moment that God would have used to save nations. Why? Because this nation, represented by this guy, Ultimately, be a blessing to all. But the story isn't in there. You see, it isn't enough for the brothers and Joseph to start to be reconciled, to start to be restored together. Joseph turns to them and says, "Look, go and get our father. He needs to know this too." And so they go and grab the father, and the father comes and sees his son, and suddenly, in that moment, Jacob is alive again, and sees him and says, "Now I can." rest in death. Now I can know peace. The despair that had led to hopelessness, that had led to this destiny of thinking all that is good to come is death, gets to this moment of seeing hope and realizing now there is wholeness and peace. And there comes a moment though, at the end of the story where Jacob does die, and Jacob's body is taken and put in to rest in the tomb with his wife. And then when Joseph comes back and is with his brothers, they then suddenly think, well, what's going to happen to us now? Because Joseph had provided for them. He provided for the whole family that they'd have a grazing space to be shepherds again in the, the kingdom of Egypt and have the best of the land and would keep prospering. And we're going to see what happens as you read on through the Bible of what happens to that people as they prosper within Egypt. But at this moment, all they're thinking about is our dad's dead. Joseph seemed to be taking care of us. I wonder if now he's going to be out to get us. And in that moment, they come and they try to plead with Joseph and say, hey, you've got to forgive us. You've got to treat us well because that's what our dad said for you to do. And Joseph kind of summarizes everything of his story in this remarkable way in Genesis chapter fifty verse 20, where it says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's answer to his brothers is, you need to get over this. He may have meant to harm me, but God turned it for good in order that it would benefit and be fruitful for all. See, this story Is a story that reveals how God fulfills his promises. See, how God fulfills his promises is surprising. It's often in a way that we would have never imagined. Whether it's to an Abraham who has no son, who's told from you there'll be a family that blesses all other families on the earth. You could have never pictured a great-great-grandson who'd then be part of that blessing who provides for the nations through a Pharaoh. But more than that was going to be this promise that was going to continue, which we're going to see in a moment, that actually there would be Jesus who would be this blessing. But it's also for Joseph. You would have never thought that that dream of all of his brothers bowing before him would have be a moment of him providing for all of the nations through this checkered roller coaster of a ride of many moments where it felt like, I don't know where I'm going. And yet God was using each moment to be with him and to reveal him himself through, God, through Joseph. It's also a story that reveals restoration. I love this. There's never a point where Joseph says, that's it. I've had it with you, 11. You thought you got it over me. I've got it over you. No, there's this moment of utter mercy and kindness that he brings restoration with his brothers in so much of a way that he says, not only do I forgive you, but don't be angry with yourselves. Forgive yourselves. See, restoration, to have a restored relationship with people, has to be both, I'm sorry, I forgive you, but also the one who's offended having that moment saying, and I'm going to let myself off the hook as well. Because so, so so many times, restoration doesn't happen because actually the, the perpetrator of something they've done wrong is the one that holds on to the wrong. and says, I can't possibly be let off the hook here. That's never going to be restored. It's not how God deals with us. He's like, I forgive you, let's not talk about this again. So it's this pattern of restoration. It's also this pattern of salvation. That God saves the people in the most surprising way. Takes an arrogant shepherd, humbles him to become the spreadsheet king of the known world, to save everyone. Because ultimately, this story points to this greater Joseph, who we know as Jesus, who comes as our brother, and yet one who actually everyone rejected. And even though the Father's favor was on him, and he continually said, Whatever I do is always for the Father's glory. The whole of humanity said, No, we want nothing to do with you. We're not only going to throw you in a pit, we're not only going to imprison you, we're actually going to kill you. So that's what happens. That Jesus is killed on a cross. In order that what? In order that the promises of God could be fulfilled. That through his death, every person ever could know the hope of eternal life. That through his life, all would find life rather than death. So that when Jesus is resurrected, he doesn't then stand and say, now bow to me. He comes and kneels alongside and gathers all in and says, now receive my peace because Jesus is a greater Joseph. Therefore, my question, just to end with, is this. What's it for you from this story of Joseph? What's the thing that God is speaking to you about? For every single one of us, it will be different. Maybe it's the circumstance we're in at the moment. Maybe it's how God has promised things over our life, and we've yet to see them happen. Maybe it's that we've come saying, I want to know God, but how do I work to know Him? And we realize actually, me being right with God has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with Jesus. Most surprising way of God working out our salvation. I'm going to pray for us, and we're done. Jesus, I thank you for the wonder of the Bible. I thank you that it is the living word of yours. And I thank you that in it all, it reveals the wonder of who you are, God, and the wonder of how you interact with us. And I just ask God, would you keep using these stories uh, to reveal more of the wonder of who you are and more of the wonder of how you want to reveal yourself through us? ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.